Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. I'm reading from the New King James Version. The word of the Lord reads, guard your heart. Everybody say, guard your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of its spring, the issues of life. Last week, I spoke about what it means to love the Lord with all of your heart, your soul, your mind. My message was titled, Passion. Passion's contagious. You can go to a sporting event and If the passion for the team, and especially if they're gaining ground and winning, even by enlarging their margin, passion also increases with the win. People are passionate about many things in life, and that's why the greatest focus that we can ever have when it comes to our passion is fulfilling the greatest in the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You'll find placing him first and foremost in your life is how we do that. Basing every decision, not some of them, not most of them, not all but some of these, but basing every decision on God's approval. God's approval is the standard we live by. If God doesn't approve of it, stay far away from it. However, you'll find the world has a different standard, don't they? We see it on the news, we hear it. On the, uh, on the television stations and with the programming, all that's promoted with a Christless, a godless you know, narrative really promotes an entirely different standard. And honestly, what it's really about is self-serving agendas. The world or even Christians, if we leave the Lord out, if we're not careful, you know, as Solomon says, to guard our hearts with all diligence, Understand the importance. You'll find that other narratives will creep in. And and what it winds up doing, it's all about personal gain, personal agendas, you know, what we desire in life. And, And when that happens, when it's all about us, then what that really winds up doing is dehumanizing God's image, dehumanizing people to where they come to a point, they come to a place where, well, I don't care if I hurt others, I need to fulfill my personal agenda. And that's when people use other people selfishly for personal gain. How do they do it? Well, they allow the unthinkable to become common practice. And that's what we see. The more we leave God out, things we never thought, things we thought unthinkable, all of a sudden begin to become the common practice in society which becomes then the motivation behind many of the things that we consider unthinkable. Violent crimes, drug smuggling, human trafficking. We had the Rich Mullins tribute concert here a few weeks back in October. And one of the charities, all of the proceeds from this event went towards, one of them was Worthwhile Goods. And they take all of the funds that they realize from those of us Cindy and I participate in it, bringing items that they can then prepare and then sell and allow all of the proceeds, the profits from that, to help in the fight against the trafficking of young children, the trafficking of women, child slavery, 
All of these atrocities that at one time in, in our lives and in the history, even of our nation, thought unthinkable. But now, the motivation of personal gain causes violent crimes, drugs, and human trafficking, and more to become commonplace. Look at pornography. Pornography has become a multi-billion, that's with a capital B, a multi-billion dollar industry. Then there's the Ponzi schemes, Ponzi schemes that seek to extort money from the innocent, hardworking, those who have put together their life savings and their, their promise, you know, returns beyond their imagination. And obviously, if it's beyond your imagination, that means it can't take place. And here, all of these fraudulent investments, insider trading, tax evasion, all because someone is putting priority on their personal agenda at the expense of anyone and anything around them. People covet more, and then they do whatever's necessary to get it. An insatiable love of what? Money. Money. So what's to keep someone from falling prey to this demonic deception? Because anything that goes against God's word has the foundation of a demonic spirit, an evil spirit, that is promoting and appealing to our flesh, appealing to the lower nature, in order to pull us away from what God designs, what God desires, and what will really benefit us in the end. What is to protect someone, keep them from falling into this demonic deception? Three words. Solomon said it in our text. Guard your heart. Look at the person next to you and say, guard your heart. Guard your heart. It doesn't matter who you are, whether a preacher, a politician, blue or white collar worker, if your priorities regarding money are not in keeping with God's word, then money will become a curse rather than a blessing. You see, your priorities, my priorities, our priorities, what do they do? They reveal your love. Remember, I talked about last week, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Whatever's in the heart will be our focus. We'll build our agendas. We'll plan for the future with what has captured our heart. So if money has captured it from the aspect that we love it, then we'll stop at nothing to have more. That's why we see all of the atrocities that are happening around the world as well as in our own land. So let me begin by saying this when we talk about our love. Let me say this. I like money. Everybody can now say, oh, what's wrong with Pastor Craig? He likes money. Hey, money is not evil. Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evil. Actually, it was Paul when he was speaking to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he says, For the love of money is a root, a root of all kinds of evil. We've touched on just a few. For which some have strayed from the faith. It's amazing how this word, money, and this priority, when it's not in its proper perspective and position in our lives with priorities and obedience, how it can cause people 
to stray from their walk with God. That's why Solomon says, with all diligence, guard your heart. Paul says, to which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know what money can become? It can become a provisional idol. We look to it. Instead of my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, my money will supply all of my needs according to its riches in itself. You see, whenever we place anything above our commitment to God, whenever our life lacks obedience in any area of our life, then that will pull us and cause us to stray from our faith. See, money provides opportunity. That's why I reference it as a provisional idol. It can bring opportunity. It can provide resources, influence, and even power. You've heard the term. Money is power. And you know, in Scripture you'll find God gives us authority to be able to access His power. But He doesn't give us the power. He gives us the access so that we can access His power. Right? All dominion, all power, Scripture teaches, belong to the Lord. But authority gives us the legal right so that we can exercise His power whether with the aspects of of, of just knowing the will and the mind of God, whether tapping into His supernatural gifts, the Lord still does the miraculous. Somebody say amen. Amen. The God of yesterday is the God of today. And He will be the same forever. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. People change, but He hasn't changed. So God gives us access to His power by delegating authority, but the power is still His. Why? Because apart from God, power corrupts. And that's why people want more money, because it can give them more power, more inroads. And and, and then what it enables them to do is to become controlling. And a spirit of control is a spirit of witchcraft. When we are trying to control the lives of others, even Jesus You'll not find anywhere in his narrative in Scripture, his life, where he controlled people. He led them. He led them. He gave them free will. His desire was for people, and still is today, to choose him, to exercise our will and say, Lord, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. But we make the choice. We make the choice whether to be in church. We make the choice whether to pray. We make the choice whether to study his word. We make the choice whether to or not to serve in a ministry and to give Jesus to others by the efforts that we provide for his name's sake. The Lord never controls. He's in control, but he never controls. That may sound like an oxymoron, but it's not. God's word will always have the final say. He's in control, but he allows the free will of man because it's his desire for him to be loved by choice, not by verdict and edict. Amen? So here we see that power can provide money. And that's why people will do anything they can to get it. And that's why people always want more money. There was a question and ask of billionaire John D. Rockefeller during his lifetime. 
reporter asked him, how much money is enough? To which Rockefeller replied, just a little bit more. You know, when there's no ending point, people strive. They push for it. Do you know in Scripture, Barnabas was a wealthy man? He was the one who was responsible for bringing Paul the Apostle, the transformed life of Saul of Tarsus, before the Jerusalem council that Peter, Apostle Peter, presided over. And he, and he, brought, he brought Paul because they were so fearful of this man because of the impact of his life before he came to Christ. Before that Damascus Road encounter, that even though he was preaching, he was winning people to the Lord, laying his life on the line, the church didn't believe. Shows you how paralyzing fear can become. It can cause us not to see what God is doing. So Barnabas, whose name also meant son of encouragement, he brought Paul before the Jerusalem council and shared about all that he was doing for the glory of Jesus. Then Paul was able to share his testimony of how the Lord appeared to him, spoke to him. He was blinded for three days. And then when he was prayed for by Ananias, a godly man, who in a dream the Lord showed him that Paul had genuinely found the Lord and he would suffer much for the namesake of Jesus, but he also would accomplish much. Only apostle who wrote over half of our entire New Testament. He indeed was a transformed life. How many of you want to be a transformed life? I know I do. Allow the, and that's an ongoing work. Say, Lord, just day by day, moment by moment, just continue to make me more like Jesus. And so Barnabas, he was a wealthy man. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we see here he was a landowner, but I'm sure there were other investments he was successful as a businessman. And then following a life-changing encounter with Jesus, Barnabas then began to use his wealth, his money, to advance the ministry of the New Testament church. You see, in its fledgling stages, the church was very vulnerable. That's why the Lord kept the 120 in the upper room until the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them so that they could move with the same authority as Jesus, so that they could be protected the promise that was given in Luke, you know, chapter 10, verse 19, you'll tread on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. In other words, like it's prophesied also in Isaiah 54, verse 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But in order for the church and its very origin, origination of existence, a babe, in order for them to survive, they needed everything that Jesus utilized during his earthly walk. And so once they were empowered on the day of Pentecost by the Holy Spirit, they were released. And then God also, as, as the gospel grew and the church increased in number, God brought people with different giftings, abilities, you know, and those of wealth and those of leadership skills. He brought all that was necessary to continue to strengthen the church. And guess what? He's still doing that today. The church will not survive if people don't embrace all that God requires and give their lives for a greater cause. There are worthy causes, but the greatest cause is who? 
the advancing of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. So that means we're all in. It's not about acquiring a spiritual insurance policy. Well, I'm saved, hallelujah. Now I'm just going to enjoy life the rest of my retirement, and then I'll go home to be with Jesus. But don't ask me to do anything, you know. People just wait so that they can pass on whatever that policy is to someone else, and then when it comes to salvation, people can be narrow-minded and see it as their guarantee through those pearly gates onto those streets of gold. Thank God for all of that, because the Word of God, the blood of Jesus, salvation in His name, does promise us that eternal lifetime of blessing. But until that happens, we all have something to do. It's our responsibility from generation to generation to generation to protect the church by being obedient and by doing whatever God would require for us. You know, our founding fathers in the faith, they kept the church healthy by the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. And we are called to do the same thing. From generation to generation, what happens? The baton is passed. Sometimes people say, oh, what will happen when this preacher goes home to be with the Lord? Or this, this ministry, if something happened to it, how will we survive? Well, just as God had Moses, there was a Joshua waiting in the wings. And just as there was a Billy Graham, there have been many who have followed him. Thank the Lord for his life, one of my heroes. But the ministry doesn't revolve around one man or one woman. It revolves around the head of the church. What is his name? Jesus. Say it again. What is his name? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So Barnabas did his part. He had money, but money didn't have him. That's significant. Should I say it again? Barnabas had money, but money didn't have him. So when does then money facilitate evil? When the love of money becomes your root, as Paul said to Timothy. Roots are attached to whatever you love. You know, even in relationships, when you love someone, you know, a husband and wife, there is a covenant, a covenant between that man and that woman. There becomes a physical body tie. When children are born, it's all of the flesh of the man and of the woman. Just as when, when Adam looked at Eve and said, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You know, the act of marriage brings that oneness in body. And then the actual fruit, the dem what we see revealed of that oneness of body is when a child is born. You look at that child and you see your spouse in them. You see yourself in them. I always said to all of my children, you're going to have your father's hair. <laughs> Dad, don't even kid. I said, is there something going on here? Don't even kid. I tell my grandsons, you know, the sons of a mother are more prone statistically to take on the genetic you know, features of the mother's father. So I say to my grandsons, one day you're going to have hair, just like your pop. And they go, they just look at me. They don't want to say, oh, that's, that's great. And they don't want to say, no way. They just sort of look at me and stare me down. So when you take and, and you look at the root, and whatever you love, you know, there's a root connection. A husband and wife are connected bodily. There's a soul tie, which God intends. He wants that there between a husband and 
and a wife. Not an extracurricular relationship, but your husband, your spouse, your wife, your spouse. There's that soul tie. You love them with all your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. There's that connection. And the same thing is applicable in every other area of our lives. Whatever we love, we'll do anything to have that, to guard it, to protect it. And that's why, again, it's not a sin to have money and to like it, but to love it puts it above Almighty God. You know, one day all of this stuff's going to perish. You know, if you look through the Word of God, there's no monetary system in heaven. There isn't. You won't need it. Anybody that can pave their streets in gold, you know they have a lot of resource. And to the Lord, there's no end of his resource. Judas, he had a root attached to what he loved. He loved money. He sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. There were other things that led to that, but there was a root of greed in his own life, promoting his agenda above what Jesus came to do. Look at Matthew 27, 3 through 5. Then Judas, his, speaking of Jesus, betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. There's a difference from being remorseful versus repentive. Remorseful says, I'm sorry for what I did, but I'm not changing. Repentance says, I'm sorry for what I did, I repent of it, Lord, change me. Lord, change me. So it says, he was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders, saying, I have sinned and by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? They knew Jesus was innocent. They didn't care. They loved their position. And money brought them power. They gave out money so that they could protect what their agenda was, their position, their place. They love, speaking of the religious leaders, the pomp and circumstance. They love the attention. It fed their ego. And it caused them to be puffed up with pride. And we know what Scripture says about pride. Pride cometh before a fall. What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Judas gave up everything for 30 pieces of silver. Then when he realized, came to that epiphany, that money isn't everything, he threw it back. He was trying in his own ways and his own abilities, without allowing his heart to change, to recapture his innocence before God. And why? Because he loved money more than he loved God. Again, your root will determine your fruit. That's why it's important, as Solomon said. Guard your heart. Everybody say, guard your heart. Look at the sin of Achan in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7. Now, Achan was a part of the Israelite people who, after Moses had gone to be with the Lord and was buried, it says Moses was not because God buried him, then Joshua became the successor. And then as they stepped, went through the Jordan River, and I can see it so clearly now, after being in Israel for 12 days, starting on September the 26th and then returning on October the 7th, just three minutes before the missiles began to fire into Gaza and later Tel Aviv. 
I went in, baptized many, many people while we were there. I was one of six pastors, teaching pastors, that was helping to facilitate 300 people in our group. Went down into the Jordan, baptized the people right on the other side of the Jordan River, another country, the country of Jordan, home of Lena, where she was born and raised. And there we were in that water. And so just like I had the privilege to stand in that water, here we have Joshua now is going to lead the nation of Israel into the land of Canaan, the land of promise flowing with milk and with honey. And so here he is standing before the land, the first battle they would face, the first obstruction, the first challenge that the nation of Israel would face if they were going to inherit the land, it was an appropriated promise. They had to do their part in order to have what God had promised. And the first battle was the city of Jericho. Walls that were fortified. They could run chariots side by side. It was like a single lane highway like we would have here on 413. Traffic going one way, traffic going the other. They would run chariots on top of that wall. No one in the history of that city had ever penetrated the fortified walls of Jericho. So here we have Joshua and Israel. They have a challenge on their hands. But yet they believe the word of the Lord. They obeyed the word of the Lord. When you believe, you obey. Amen? If you don't obey, it doesn't matter how much you say, I believe. Your actions speak louder than your words. They believe the word of the Lord for seven days. Once each day and then on the seventh day, seven times around the wall, remaining silent until the seventh time. Then they shouted to the Lord with a voice of triumph, and they blew the shofar, the trumpets, and the walls supernaturally came down. That sounds a lot like a miracle to me, amen? God still does miracles. The walls came down, they ran in, but before all of that transpired, they were commanded, they were commanded to keep all of the spoil from this first battle, it was a tithe to the Lord. It was the first fruits after entering that land. Let's look at 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7. Achan, who was a descendant of Zira and the son of Carmi, caused trouble for Israel because he kept for himself things that belonged, I like this word, only. Notice I put it all in caps. Things that belong only to the Lord. What did he do? All of the spoil and the wealth from the first battle, as I mentioned, was set aside as a tithe to the Lord. For what? To one day build a temple that he would be worshipped in. The gold, the silver coins, and a beautiful Babylonian garment captured the attention of Achan. And he took just a little. He saw all of the abundance and he says, you know, me taking this, what's it going to hurt? What trouble could it possibly cause? He coveted it. He loved it. He hid it. And no one noticed until Israel fought their next battle in the city of Ai and lost. They suffered a great defeat. And following this defeat, that's when Achan's sin was exposed. What was his sin? He took the tithe. Even though it seemed to be such a small portion in comparison to everything was there, what difference could this make in the plans of God? He took what belonged to the Lord, and it was, the consequences were devastating. 
His love of money caused the death of many Israelite soldiers, defected a nation, the death of his family, and then his death. What does this reveal? Your root. Your root. And your root will determine your obedience. Whatever has gripped, whatever has become a part, has moved its way into us, it has become a root that displays itself through the trunk and the branches, that will determine your obedience. Let's take a moment to look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. God says this to the prophet, and the prophet is God's mouthpiece to the people. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. To touch what belongs to the Lord is robbing God. And if we expect and desire His blessing, His provision, His direction, especially after He has made His ways and His commands, very black and white, very plain, understandable, for us to continue to defy, to disobey, then we'll take and bring a curse upon our lives. We see in this verse in Malachi that there are two areas of giving that are addressed in this scripture. Tithes and offerings, which raises the question many people have asked me over the years, what is the difference between the two? A tithe is a tenth. It's 10%. Of what? Our first fruits, just like God had set aside the, the spoil of Jericho as the first fruits, then the rest after that, God said, the people can share and divide amongst themselves. So it's 10% of the first fruit, which means gross wages. Whereas an offering, it's not 10%, it's whatever God places in your heart. It's giving above and beyond after you have given your tithe. God may put a worthy ministry on your heart that you will give towards. Do you know in the Bible how many offerings there are? 365. That means we could give offerings every day of every year incessant until we go home to be with the Lord. But offerings are not required. They are as the Spirit of God lead us. There are many, many ministries that Cindy and I give to, not only through this church, but outside of this church. But we never compromise our tithe. We always make sure whatever we give above and beyond so that we are in agreement with what God has instructed, that an offering is a well and above beyond what our normal tithe would be. You'll find when you look at tithing, it's not an option. God wants the tithe. And there's a reason behind all of this. Because obviously God doesn't need our money. Amen? So why would he require something like this? Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 25. You shall truly... I'm astounded how God adds certain expletives in there. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. Now that is significant. Because when he says choose to eat before the Lord, that means where you take your tithe, where you give your tithe, also becomes a place where you're fed. Which means it becomes your storehouse, according to Scripture. And so in the New Testament... In the Old Testament, they would bring their tithe first to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, 
Then after that, when the temple of God was built, they brought their tithes to the temple once a year. They would give. They would bring it during all of the harvest, the Feast of Weeks and the harvest time celebrations. That was when they would honor God and give their thanksgiving, much like we will honor Him with our thanksgiving and testimonies when we have our Thanksgiving Eve service. Speaking and telling as a group, joined together as a congregation of the Lord's faithfulness and His goodness. How many of you feel the Lord has been faithful to you? I know He has. Give Him a wave offering. That's another offering that is in Scripture, by the way. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where He chooses to make His name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks. All of this was income to the people, that you may learn to fear. Do you know what another Hebrew translation of the word fear is in Scripture? Reverence. When you give, you're reverencing, you're honoring the Lord. That means not to give. Maybe you're not aware of it. Maybe I wouldn't have been aware of it at one time. But to refuse to obey the command of the Lord and even in our finance, is to dishonor Him. You will learn to fear, to reverence, to honor the Lord, your God, always. Verse 24, but if the journey, here's God's provisional standard, but if the journey is too long for you, so that you're not able to carry the tithe, that means you've really had a good year. And that means even your tithe is above your ability to transport. You're unable to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put His name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Remember the money changers that were at the temple? And Jesus turned the tables over? They were fulfilling a biblical principle and purpose. But what they were doing was shortchanging the people. If a cow was worth 50 uh, denarius, and they would only pay them then instead of 50, what would be the exchange rate during that time, they'd say, well, here's $30. Then they would take that cow or whatever the increase and sell it at the day rate and pocket the money for themselves. So the people were honoring God, but Jesus knew that the leaders and the money changers we're robbing God, just like Malachi speaks of, of what? The first fruits that belong to the Lord. That money was to go to the temple for the purposes of God, the worship of God, and advancing the message of God, just as it is today with the local church. So he turned the tables over, not because there was an exchange of money there, but because they were giving a dishonest exchange to the people and robbing God in the end. Verse 25 again. Then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. At that time, the storehouse, the temple. Now, where's the place that God feeds us spiritually? What is the house where God abides and feeds His people that we're commanded to bring our tithes? The local church. The local church. Wherever you have chosen to worship, to minister, to bless the Lord, the tithe should be taken there. And then that ministry, your spiritual feeding, 
becomes where the Lord, where you feast before the Lord, as we just saw in this scripture text. But maybe not a, a church dinner, even though they're wonderful. Everybody say amen to church dinners. But it's a place where God feeds us, teaches us, instructs us, leads us, guides us. Is this making sense? Jesus, even he did. He taught tithing in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, verse 17. And he wasn't even asked to expound on giving. He was asked and approached by the religious leaders. Tell us, do you believe it's lawful for us to pay taxes? That's what was asked of Jesus. That's it. Nothing else after that. That's it. Should we pay our taxes? And look at how Jesus responds to taxes, to the question. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He could have just stopped right there. And in response to the inquiry and to the question, he could have, and it would have been appropriate. But he went beyond that. And then he attaches this. He says, Render the things that are Caesar's unto Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. He's talking about financial exchange. He's talking about money. And what is it that God has required? We've already seen just a few selective verses, but there's much, much more beyond. What does God require of us? Our first fruits, our tithes. You know, listen to me. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. The reason God requires this is because He sees the evil, the love of money can produce. And so when we are obedient with giving back that portion, that 10%, it protects us from loving money instead of loving God. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. When we refuse to honor God with our first fruits, that means there are other things that are more of a treasure to us than the kingdom of heaven. Again, God doesn't want your money. He's interested in your heart. Love the Lord with all your heart your soul, and your mind. Everything points back to the greatest commandment. That's why Jesus said the following in Matthew 6, 21. Again, I referenced it earlier, but this is for you to write down. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God multiplies what we place in His hands. And this includes our tithes and offerings. How many remember the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus had just finished teaching. Then he knew that people needed to be fed. He already knew what would happen. He's omnipotent, all-powerful, but he's also omniscient, all-knowing. So he already knew, but for the sake of those around him, you know, he was about to display his glory, his miracle-working ability. And so when he asked the question, we need to feed these people, how are we going to do it? Everyone said, well, we don't have enough time to go into, into town and purchase food. And, and there's not enough in the budget. Even Jesus had a treasurer. Even Jesus needed someone to oversee the funds because he was dealing with more than just one man could look after. And so Andrew then says, well, there is a young boy I saw. He has a small picnic basket. Just a few loaves and fishes are in it. But that would never suffice. 
Jesus says, bring him to me. That little boy willingly, who came with that small basket, he willingly gave it to Jesus. Isn't it astounding that whatever we place in his hands releases the miracle of multiplication? What began with a few loaves and fishes, as Jesus broke it and he blessed it, that's when what was far less than enough, El Shaddai changed into more than enough. And as the food, the bread and the fish were distributed, everyone was filled, Scripture brings out, filled to the point of comfort. They, they had no desire to eat, blessed to overflowing. Then it says when they collected the fragments, the little boy who had given one small basket went home with 12 baskets full. That's astounding. What does that tell us? You can't outgive God. Now, sometimes we, we say that, we, oh, Lord, can't outgive you. But then we have to ask ourselves, are we honoring him with our tithe, our first fruits? And then when the Holy Spirit takes and directs, are we responding to certain things? That's why whenever we've collected offerings over the years here, I always tell the people, listen, this is between you and God. If he tells you you're not to give, then you don't have to give to every offering that comes down the pike. You pray, you ask the Lord, and then allow him to give you a dollar amount. Only the tithe is 10%, but every other offering we would give. That is as the Holy Spirit directs. That's why I say, now ask the Holy Spirit, if you are to give, to give you a dollar amount. And then people respond accordingly. This little boy, he had no job, but he gave what he had, and the Lord blessed it. God multiplies what we place in his hands. Aren't you glad for that? When it comes to giving, don't think for God. Let God think for you. Don't allow your love for this or that, and because money become, can become a provisional asset and helping to bring a dream come to, to life. Don't allow it to take control to the point where it causes us to hold back from the Lord. God honors obedience. Amen? Two verses, Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. That means there's an ongoing spiritual return that God gives over time because of our obedience. And that applies to our money. The bread of life. Right? What is one of the... Uh, uh, references, uh, modern day slang for money. Got to make me some bread, right? Cast your bread on the waters of life and you will find it after many days. Look at Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. Who's speaking here? Jesus. How do you know that? It's written in red. I have a red letter edition Bible right here. All right? That was supposed to be funny, but I'll continue. Praise the Lord. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Think about this principle of faith. Because giving is all centered around faith. You were saved, how? By faith. You walk by faith. When you stand for healing, you're healed by faith. When you take time to pray, you're praying by faith. And the same principle is true for your finances. 
you give based on the foundation of what God's Word declares by faith. So if we can believe Him for salvation with faith, and we can walk by faith, believe Him for our healing by faith, we pray in faith, then why can't we believe as we give in faith God will honor our obedience and bless us. Amen? So why is giving so important to God? Because it will guard your heart from loving money more than you love God. No excuses. Can't afford to do it. Don't have enough of it. You know, I I was thinking the other day, I look at all of the options we have available and you know I have an Amazon account Amazon Prime do I really need that you know when we really evaluate where all of the streams are funneling our financial resources sometimes when people say I I can't afford to you know think of how much money I remember my father used to smoke three to four packs of cigarettes a day There are people who still are wrestling with that same issue. Think of the finance that goes into that to buy four packs of cigarettes or three or two. You know, what am I saying? Am am I condemning people who smoke? No, not at all. But I am saying if we reevaluate, when people say, I just don't have enough to do that, Pastor. Reevaluate where we are funneling our funds and ask God for wisdom to establish a budget with what you've been given. If you don't pay your taxes, you know, it's disastrous. And by honoring God with our first fruits, it guards our heart, protects us, and then God will see our obedience and He will smile upon you by increasing and providing opportunity. He is the God of more. But more is only accessible through obedience. Hallelujah. Money can be a blessing or a curse. For me, it's going to be a blessing. And I know the Lord will prosper everything I set my hand to do. I may never be a rich man, but prosperity isn't about being a millionaire. It's not about being wealthy. It's about having more than enough. He is the God of more. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.